This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Peter Foster. Peter Foster is the Europe editor of the British newspaper, The Daily Telegraph. Peter, we're only a few days away now from the, this referendum. I'd like to ask you, give you your assessment of the, of the campaigns on the Remain and the Leave side. And I'll, after that, after that, I'll ask you about the media coverage. But let's start, first of all, with the, the two main camps, Remain and Leave. What is your general view of how each camp is, is performing its, its campaigning? You know, it's been very tight. The, the Remain camp have focused overwhelmingly on the economic arguments, the potential costs of a Brexit to your pension, most recently, and of course the ruling party, the Conservative Party in Britain, has guaranteed pensions, but even pensions couldn't be guaranteed if we voted for Brexit and the economy shrunk and we all ended up in a terrible place. For the other side, the Leave side, it's been more of a focus on identity, on immigration, which is the issue that... Uh, has consumed Britain over the last decade since enlargement, since uh, net migration to the UK hit 300,000 plus, about half of which come from the EU. So that's been much more uh, identity-based uh, uh, immigration. The two camps, I think it's fair to say, have almost given up trying to persuade the other side. It's about mobilising their core votes because the polls show it's neck and neck, it's very close, and that arguably the team that gets their supporters to the voting booths is the team that's going to win this. Well, there's a lot of talk, as you know, about Project Fear, and each side is saying that the other side is engaging in, in scared tactics. I mean, um, what is your view? Are, are both sides equally guilty of this, these scare tactics? Yeah, I think they are, actually. I think both, both sides have gone to the limits of what it's possible to say. So the, the Brexit side say, we send £350 million a week to Brussels. Well, we don't. If you take about the rebate and you take about what comes back in structural funds, it's much less than that. It's £42 million a day. It's £240 million a week, something of that order. Um, on the other side, uh, the Treasury has made all sorts of predictions uh, based on all sorts of numbers that a lot of people, uh, I think, are very uh, difficult to predict. You know, households are going to lose £4,300 a year. I think it is. Um, but that's actually really about a smaller income by 2030. And anyway, who knows what's going to happen at 2030? So I think both sides have gone to the max of their potential uh, uh, um, arguments and in the process switched off a lot of voters. You know, a lot of voters I talk to are really shaking their heads. They feel like they're in the middle of a, a shouting match, of a dialogue of the deaf. And um, you know, I think the danger uh, is that people really think a plague on both their houses uh, and in the end go with their guts, I suspect. But when you say each side is now just trying to galvanise its core vote, what about the, 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 the floating vote? It could be 20%, 30% of the electorate. Are any attempts being made to get those undecided people on board? I, I am sceptical about how many uh, floating voters there really are. I think if you look at a lot of the research, an awful lot of people know in their gut where they're going to be, actually. And I think uh, if you talk to people like John Curtis at the University of Strathclyde, Matthew Goodwin at the University of Kent, all their messaging is actually the die is fairly well cast. You know, this is going to be one on turnout. And both campaigns privately will admit that. They're very concerned about, about turnout. And I think one of the factors that might affect turnout is the fact that this has been 
very Westminster bubble, as we call it, very mm. political squabble. You know, the, both campaigns complaining how much it's taken up by Boris Johnson, the former mayor of London, the big colourful character, uh, you know, uh, on the Leave side against David Cameron, the establishment figure. Uh, you know, the soap opera of British politics is what uh, fills the newspapers, not the uh, nitty gritty, the minutiae of, of, of uh, the pros and cons of Brexit. Although that stuff is there, to be fair, in the newspapers, if you go looking for it. But if you look at the headlines, it's all about the uh, the punch and Judy, the back and forth, the, you know, the, the knockabout of of personality politics. Okay, but as we speak, we're about 10 days away from this referendum. Um, the, the most recent development is that is that David Cameron and, and, the, and the Remain camp are, are concerned, are anxious, and trying to change tack, and trying to give some space and some uh, and some visibility to the, the Labour side of the argument. And so certainly, whereas the Leave camp, of course, have kind of made their bed and, and have to lie in it. Do you see this new development, which is relatively new, of, of people like Gordon Brown, the former Prime Minister, uh, and other Labour leading figures making the play on, on Europe will have that any, any kind of impact on the debate? I think it's it's quite late in the day is the honest answer to that. Uh, there is a sudden realisation that the Labour Party uh, hasn't been on the front foot, hasn't been mobilising the generally younger, more progressive voters who tend to vote Labour, vote on the left. Uh, it's a tricky issue for them. You know, they, they, they batted very hard for Cameron to keep Scotland uh, in in the in the country and were decimated in the election after in Scotland, for a lot of blue collar uh, Labour voting workers, this uh, voting to bail out Cameron feels like voting to bail out the Tories. And there's been another you know counter argument, which is well, you know if you don't vote for Cameron, if you don't vote to keep us in, we might end up with an even more uh, right wing uh, government. But you know there is a second issue here, which is that uh, it may well be, and this is, I think is the great unknown of this referendum, it may well be actually that Labour voters are more Eurosceptic or perhaps more anti-immigration than they're given credit for by the right. polls. And we may well, if, if we do indeed find we have a Brexit, it may well be because actually those people weren't motivated to vote for Cameron and frankly were more disgruntled, more perhaps in the sort of Donald Trump world than, uh, uh, than you might expect. And actually in the last election, UKIP, which is Nigel Farage's sort of anti-immigration, you know, classic populist party, actually did you know, a lot of damage to the Labour vote. And I think you know, the argument among Labour, the Leave Labour crowd, who are pro-Brexit and the Labour crowd, because it's not a uniform party, are saying, uh, you know, actually, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of Labour voters out there who aren't necessarily going to buy into social Europe, who are angry about migration, etc. And they may well be Brexiteers, more than we think. OK. I want to talk also about the media coverage of the campaign, not just your own kind of personal assessment and you mentioned and maybe as a way to segue into that you mentioned a couple a couple of times at least if not more uh, the role of, or the importance of opinion polls and of course the media like to write many stories based on opinion polls as you said just now it's quite neck and neck actually the moment as we speak 10 days before the referendum the leave campaign seemed to have a, a clear lead last week or 10 days ago it was more or less the opposite so to what extent uh uh, let, let me put this very bluntly, are the media guilty of trying to uh, perpetuate this idea that the polls are kind of gospel, uh, whereas often behind that, you know, as you know better than I do, the methodology of how polling is done online, telephone polls, the size of the sample, how the question is put, can be quite uh, difficult to assimilate. So what is the importance of the polls in all this, as far as the, as far as the media coverage is concerned? Well, well you know, the, the thing about polls are they're like 
they're shiny things, you know, they're like the, you know, the, the bottle top to the magpie. It's extremely difficult. You, know, you can't write news stories that say, actually, this poll doesn't really mean very much. It doesn't add up to uh, being right. dear reader. I shouldn't bother troubling you with it. Because if you talk to people like John Curtis at Strathclyde, you know, he'll say, by and large, opinion's pretty set. It's basically 50-50, and what we don't know is what side of that line it comes down. And we have these absurd swings. I think today the ICM poll... Uh, which is a Guardian company telephone poll, is showing eight points for Remain. Two weeks ago... It was eight the, points ahead. Yeah, for right. Remain. But two weeks ago, it was saying a different, a different thing. Now, truthfully, these are incredibly difficult things to poll. We haven't had a vote like this in Britain since 1975. Modelling these votes, as you mentioned, the bias between online polls, which tend to be more in favour of Brexit, and, and telephone polls more, more in favour of, um, of Remain... It's extremely difficult, but I will say this, the newspapers and the TV stations, they do uh, play the Lotus headline like it's gospel. They don't stress the fact this is just a snapshot of intention to vote at a given moment in time. But you know what? The markets do the same. Right. You know, you look at the fluctuations of sterling. You know, the traders trade the headlines just the same as anybody else. It's very difficult. Uh, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's something it's not the way humans work and it's not the way editors work either. And it, it's true all over the world, I think. Matt. Well, apart, I, mean, I may be uh, unfair in saying this, but as opposed to uh, majoring so much on the opinion polls from a media perspective and, and, and journalist coverage of the, this particular campaign, what about this more coverage about uh, how the bookies are, uh, are covering this? They, they, they make the assessment, I think, is morally unchanged that a broad two to one in a majority in favour of staying in terms of their odds. Now, is that a fair comment? Why don't you talk more about what the bookies are saying? Well, I guess the, the, bookmaker, the bookmakers are, are a, a money market, right? All that that means is that 70% of people who've placed a bet right. think that it's going to be remain, which if you think, you know, that is merely, that is all that is, is a, a reflection of the common wisdom of what will happen at the end of this. Right, a poll right. is, a, is a snapshot of people's intention to vote at any given moment. But we know, for example, you know, the phenomenon of the shy Tory. You know, people were polled uh, back in the 90s in Britain and they didn't admit that they want to vote on the right, which threw all the polls out. And on this one, uh, are lots of people secretly more Brexit, pro-Brexit, yeah. but they don't want to say so because that's identified with... UKIP and right. you know uh, the part the and that could apply intolerant. to the Labour Labour Party. It about could, just now. it could, right? I mean, I, this is this is a real issue with the polls. I think you know polls are always flaky. In this case, they're hugely flaky, and they are, um, you know, I, I think they're just there to be taken with a, with with a, with a pinch of salt, really. I, 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 okay. I, I, I can't go any further with that with them, really. But, no. but you mentioned earlier, uh, you mentioned spontaneously, if you like Boris, Boris Johnson, former mayor of London, and his little kind of little spat with his uh, former uh, school friend, uh, David Cameron, the prime, prime minister. Uh, but also that the media is also, I would argue, guilty about obsessing too much about Boris and, and David, as it were, to almost the exclusion of other players in the debate. I'm sure if I was a, a Labour uh, politician or a or a, or a Lib Dem or a Green uh, politician, I'd be rather annoyed that so much media coverage is being devoted to this little in civil war we're playing out. Is that a fair comment or not? It is. No, I think it is. And, you know, you hear it from the campaigns as well. Um, you know, these are the big personalities. And this is a debate which, on the one hand, uh, is hugely important for the whole future of Britain and arguably the future of Europe and global institutions. But in a British context, this is a debate that's been going on in the Tory party for 20 or 30 years since the Maastricht yeah. Treaty. 
And so it is seen through this prism. And even the campaigns, when they want to try and broaden it out, it, they get sucked back into this personality. But the whole thing is seen through this prism of personality politics. And it's frustrating the campaigns too. Uh, but, but it, you know, it is... I don't. I honestly, I think you know it's true of American politics. Mm. You know, are we talking about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, or are we talking about yeah. you know the macro prudential issues facing uh, America's debt going forward and its trading relationships and whether it's? Of course not. It's all about Donald and and Hillary, and that is, I mean, you that is the, it's the nature of the modern media. It's what people talk down about in the pub, in the bar, and I think, uh, it's it's extremely unrealistic to expect that. Um, to change any time soon. No, I don't think it will. I, I mean, but, but that said, and I will say this in defence of um, the often scurrilous British media, the Grub Street of, uh, hmm. you know, we have a long tradition, honourable tradition of, of being part of Grub Street, as we used to call it. But I, I will say actually that if you go onto the FT website, onto my own newspaper, Daily Telegraph website, uh, if, you, if you stay out of the, uh, the, the, the populist uh, newspapers, there is a huge amount of information available. No one, I get very cross with people in Britain say, I just want the facts, can't find the facts. Well, if you go looking for them, there are really measured pieces out there looking at the pros and cons of you know, what sovereignty Britain would gain by having a Brexit, what we'd lose on the balance of trade, what we'd lose at the Norwegian scenario or the WTO scenario, how much immigration would really come down. It's all there. Uh, whether voters are so turned off by the political dogfight that, frankly, they don't bother either to vote or, or, or to do the homework and they just vote with their gut, they vote on tribal loyalties. That's the danger of having referendums, I think. We all know that. But actually, uh, in the age, this is the kind of curse and the benefit of the digital age is that, is that it's both sort of surface and trivial, but actually, if you go back to 1975, where I'm sure everyone got a mouldy old leaflet through their door, you know, the internet... If you want to go looking, there is masses of grown-up information out there, but you just you need to be motivated to go and find it. Okay, one final question, and to slightly put you on the spot, I mean this this referendum is coming after maybe many years, if not decades, of, of pretty anti-European coverage in in many media outlets, also broadcast, but certainly print media. And so, even though you have these uh, informed information sources like websites of even the Daily Telegraph, never mind things like the Financial Times. Nonetheless, there's this diet, the very received wisdom anyway, whether it's reality, you can, you can challenge me on that, that for, for decades now, the British media has been dishing on, on Europe big time, and now all of a sudden, chickens are coming home to roost. Is that a fair assessment or not? I, I'm not going to get into naming names here, Paul, but I, I think it is, I think it would be, and no one could deny, there are metrics out there, you, you know, people done the, you know, count how many times bonkers Brussels comes up you know you know there are metrics out there there is no doubt that the balance of the media in Britain is Eurosceptic there's absolutely no doubt about it and it goes uh, goes right back to the to the uh, sort of antagonistic relationship that Britain has always had it's always defined itself against Europe actually you know against France you know even I'm born in 1972 but I grew up on sort of you know war comics and heroic Britain little Britain outside and you know the it is sort of knockabout stuff but it's it's in the DNA and and the you know the federalizing ambition the you know, the big European project uh sort of grated against uh uh kind of the British character as we know hence the rebate and the opt-out and that has sort of uh it's become just part of the the public DNA, so that even those people who are who can see the fact that uh, you know on balance we'd be mad to leave Europe in their view, you don't hear people 
saying we need to go in Europe and engage and, and make the whole thing work. What you say is, well, we'd be worse off out. And it's a pretty half-hearted yeah. endorsement. And that, and that is reflected in the fact that the media is, uh, on balance, you're a sceptic. I mean, your Guardian is probably pro, is pro rather than the FT's pro. Um, the Times is sort of somewhere in the middle. The, you know, the Telegraph is fundamentally Eurosceptic, although we haven't declared our hands. The Mail is out. The Mirror is in. Uh, the Express is out. Right. But I would say the, the balance of word counts, I've not done it, is Eurosceptic. <laughs> and, and, you know, as you say, that's nothing to do with this referendum. It goes right back to the days when Boris Johnson was knocking out stories about straight bananas in Brussels. Well, OK, Peter Foster, thank you very much for your time.